Between now and 2020, there are over 100 superhero movies and TV shows set for release. Superhero movies are without a doubt dominating world cinema at the moment, but why? I'm hoping to shine some light on why the superhero genre has become so successful. The earliest concept of superheroes date back to ancient Greece, where stories were told of gods and demigods with superhuman powers who would protect man from evil. Similar stories were also found within Roman and Norse mythology, and funnily enough one character from the Norse tales, Thor, is still a mainstream character within the present day Marvel movies. Robin Hood is another example of a superhero used historically, but a little closer to home. In 17th century England, songs were sung about a fictional character who was the champion of the poor. This was to inspire the poor and give them hope to draw away from their everyday lives. The actual term superhero wasn't used until the early 1900s. Characters like Zorro, The Shadow and Popeye were some notable names among the first crime fighters to be published in several magazines across the world between the years of 1920 and 1935. This sparked what is known as the golden age of superheroes. This was a dark time in the world, with World War II and the rationing of the 50s, but it also saw the birth of two comic book titans, Marvel and DC. DC introduced the lead characters of Superman and Batman, and by the start of the Second World War they had formed the first superhero team-up in the Justice League of America. World War II also saw the loss of many writers to the war, along with a shortage of paper, so there was high demand for quick, easy to print, simple, good over evil stories to keep morale high and give people a source of entertainment. Marvel's Captain America was especially successful during the Second World War, as Captain America was fighting Nazis on the front line. The 1950s through to the 80s were known as the Silver Ages. The stories went from being short, cheesy comic strips to being full books with long and interesting stories. This also saw the beginning of a long-lasting rivalry between DC with their Justice League comics and Marvel with their Avengers comics. Both companies would also begin to expand, creating more new heroes and also beginning to create a presence on TV with Adam West's Batman. To the Batmobile, let's go. Atomic batteries to power. Now moving into the early 80s, comic book fans had seemed to become more interested in anti-heroes such as Blade, Wolverine and The Punisher. These were much darker storylines, showing that comics were now becoming more appealing to a wider audience, who wanted a wider variety in what they were reading. The 80s also saw the famous Lou Ferrigno Hulk TV show, along with the Christopher Reeves Superman movies. Now, moving into the 90s and early 2000s, there was more demand for superhero movies, and with Marvel struggling financially, they sold character rights off to several film companies, Spider-Man to Sony, and the X-Men and Fantastic Four to Fox. There were several attempts in the 90s, including the Batman movie series and the original Fantastic Four movie, but these didn't seem to sit well with fans. Blade was released in 1998, but due to the certificate and genre, it wasn't suitable for a larger audience. The turn of the century is when superhero movies really took off. In the last 15 years, DC have released an extremely successful Batman trilogy, along with other movies such as Green Lantern. 
Sony have created two separate Spider-Man franchises, and Fox have produced some very successful X-Men movies. And of course Marvel, with the help of Disney, have turned the superhero genre into an absolute powerhouse by creating a whole cinematic universe, the likes of which have never been seen in the world of cinema before. You start with something pure, something exciting. Then come the mistakes, the compromises. Brutality, the sacrifice, it changes you. I'd rather be a good man than a great king. But the price of freedom is high. And it's a price I'm willing to pay. You can take away my house, all my tricks and toys. But I am Iron Man. So this brings us to where we are today. And what I want to know is why have these movies become so successful? Now, Marvel's cinematic universe has been unbelievably popular. Avengers Assemble was the third highest grossing film of all time, and all the movies together have made over $7 billion worldwide, with the newest release, Avengers Age of Ultron, set to break even more records. I think money plays a major role in the popularity of these movies. As well as good marketing, large budgets mean that more practical effects can be used, bigger actors and directors can be hired, making the movies more appealing to a larger audience. Marvel adding more well-known actors like Benedict Cumberbatch and Paul Rudd to the fold means that these movies will become popular with more than just comic book fans. Alistair Harkness is a film critic with The Scotsman and I asked him why he thought these movies had become so successful. Uh, there's a number of reasons for it, I think. Um, one of which is they actually started making good ones. They started hiring good directors to do it. If you think, if you remember back to the, the sort of late 90s when... When they were making those terrible Batman films with Joel Schumacher, they they got really successful with Batman with when they had Tim Burton, who brought a really kind of unique vision to those films. And then they started just being interested in making money and making selling toys, and so they they sort of got rid of Tim Burton and they started bringing quite sort of mediocre um, directors, uh, and that's why those films started failing, I guess. Uh, but then what they did with they started to bring back X Men was they, they brought back people like Brian Singer and then they, they hired people like Sam Raimi to do Spider-Man. And those are those are filmmakers with a, a real kind of sense of story. And I think they actually cared about the characters. And so they, that, they sort of built a really good foundation for this sort of golden age of superhero movies that we're kind of in now. So there was a big... I think the reason it's very popular now is that they built a really good foundation of films. And there's a lot of those films in the sort of 2000s that didn't work, films like Elektra and all this kind of, where they hadn't quite figured it out. But they had a really good sort of solid foundation. And then once they figured out how to do it, they started building on that with, with the Marvel Universe, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They kind of, they had a very good plan for that. Um, but they were quite, you know, they were quite fluid about it as well. They were kind of interested in you know, telling the best story, I think, with that first Iron Man film, they did a really good job of establishing the tone with for for the Marvel Universe, and once they got that right, they knew how to they started building it um, leading up to the Avengers, which is why it's, you know, that's really when it became popular. And I think as well, you know, if you think about it, Christopher Nolan is the other big um, figure in this, uh, and the, I think Warner Brothers were very smart with Christopher Nolan when they started developing um, the, the Batman films. 
because they had they actually hired two directors they hired uh, Darren Aronofsky to do one version who was again came from the independent world and was uh, was kind of really interesting got a very very dark take in it uh, and then hired Christopher Nolan and he was a slightly more kind of com- he had a slightly more commercial take in it and they went with him and they were rewarded very well with him because even though that first Batman film Batman Begins wasn't hugely successful compared to the likes of Spider-Man um, they understood that he had a vision for that character and they stuck with him and it paid off handsomely with The Dark Knight which earned over a billion dollars but it was a really good story. Another factor I believe is responsible for the success of these movies is the idea that it's easy to create superhero movies as they were originally intended in the comic books more advanced special effects mean that you can create characters as they were intended like the Hulk or even Iron Man Scenarios can also be created where buildings or even cities can be destroyed. The thing with the advances in special effects over, especially over the last sort of 15, 15 years or so, is that anything that can be imagined on the page can now pretty much be done on the screen. So you can have uh, a sort of a realistic or a believable Hulk, I guess, is a way to put it, uh, or a, a Hulk that fits into that universe. And, and But even the special effects, they don't make... I don't think they really make the films. Um, so the films don't, you know, if the, if the effects are good and the story's bad, it's it's not going to work. Because if you think about it, they, they had two attempts to do the Hulk, and the, neither one of them were were that successful. So they kind of figured out that, well, Hulk maybe is not a character that can sort of stand on his own. So, they, but he worked really well in the Avengers. Um, but I think when when they actually finally came to do the Avengers, what was great about it was that they actually motion captured the actor, like Mark Ruffalo, for the first time, which they'd never done before, bizarrely. They'd had Eric Bana in that first film, um, the Ang Lee-directed film, and it was actually Ang Lee that used to do the, 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 uh, the motion capture stuff, which didn't make any sense. Why would you not have the actor? And then you had Edward Norton, one of the greatest actors of his generation, and they didn't motion capture him So for the performance of the, of the Hulk. So it was like two different characters, and it didn't really work, and you weren't getting any of the expressiveness of the of the actor within the character. But I think that was the good thing they did with, uh, with the Avengers, was they actually motion captured... Uh, Mark uh, Ruffalo and uh, he brought a real vulnerability uh, to that character and I think that's why that character worked within the Avengers So you think special effects are kind of slowly taking over in these movies? Um, I think what's happening with special effects is that they are allowing the films to be bigger and more epic and create ever greater levels of, of kind of destruction and I think this is the slight problem I think that's that's starting to happen with I think specifically the Marvel films um, is that they're succumbing to that notion of of every every sort of almost every sequence within the film has to have a huge big action sequence and it has to be bigger than the previous one so and, and when you're starting off with the opening sequence is huge like in that sort of James Bond style way then where have you got to go? You have to just keep escalating and escalating and escalating the, the destruction to the point where it's always about saving the world and it's about the world is under threat. And the problem with that is that it becomes quite tiresome uh, and, it's, it's, uh, and it can uh, sort of subsume the characters in a way. And I think one of the good things about the first Avengers film was that they did a really good job of establishing the characters uh, and, and telling a good story. Um, and you didn't get lost in, in all the action, but I think with the new one with Age of Ultron, which uh, there is just there's just because the characters are already pretty well established, the, there's just a lot of kind of 
banter that doesn't really translate into good stories. So you have a lot of like joke telling and and stuff that that is just interspersed between these huge big action sequences, and it is all about you know it is all about just delivering spectacle. And I think and that's the I think that's one of the problems with modern blockbusters as well is they're trying to they're trying to they need audiences to come along to that first weekend because that's what makes or breaks a big movie is the the, big, the first weekend uh, box office and in order to get the audience in they need to promise them huge big special effects and so in order to do that in order to deliver that they have to just keep creating these stories that are really just about you know the world coming to an end and they're just putting far too much um, because they can do anything now they can have buildings destroyed buildings being destroyed and cities being destroyed they can do that and it's and I, I find that actually I think that's becoming quite tedious to watch Now in my opinion there's no set superhero genre the genres of all the superhero movies tend to differ from film to film Now let's look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe again you have lots of films which are all connected but fall under different genres the Iron Man films have a sort of light hearted almost comedic feel to them the Thor movies obviously fall into the fantasy genre and Guardians of the Galaxy was a massive sci-fi success. What I found interesting was how popular Captain America The Winter Soldier was, considering the first Captain America was financially the second least successful movie of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now, The Winter Soldier was described as a political thriller, and I believe this is why it was so popular. Like many superhero movies today, the plotline was one which was believable. Now, obviously the concept of superheroes is not one which is realistic, but if you put these superheroes into real-life scenarios, then they become attractive to more and more people who wouldn't usually like superhero movies. Having these more realistic plotlines may be another reason for the increased popularity. This could be a form of escapism for some, creating worlds where all crises can be solved by these superhumans, a better world that people wish they could live in. And the heroes themselves are often people that viewers would aspire to be, attractive, athletic or even intelligent. Now, as I mentioned before, comics were released of Captain America fighting the Nazis to help keep morale high amongst the American people during World War II. So these characters can be used as a beacon of hope. Mikhail Lyubansky, PhD, works at the University of Illinois in America, and he has written several papers on the correlation between superheroes and real-life events. Mikhail, do you feel people are attracted to superhero movies because they feel they are relatable to real-life events? I don't think that's the main reason people are attracted to superhero movies. I think probably the main reason they're attracted to them because they're a little bit of an escape. They're a little bit of a fantasy. Um, they can imagine themselves um, doing things that, you know, maybe they couldn't do in, in you know, in real life, uh, in reality. I think that's the attraction. Um, but at the same time, I think that um, the fact that, that the storylines are inc- increasingly more relatable to real-life events um, makes the experience more meaningful. So it might not be the initial reason they come to it, um, but I think it engages them, and, and uh, I think that's part of, part, of the, um, part of why they stay with it. So do you feel this is kind of a form of escapism for people, given the current state of affairs for some people? Well, I mean, yeah, it's a, you know, in a way that any literature is escapism, right? It it allows us to get into a story and into our imagination. Um, 
science fiction in general, and I do think of superhero stories, I mean, you know, they're more fantasy than science fiction, but they allow us to imagine alternatives to, you know, kind of explore what ifs, you know, what if uh, people had these superpowers, what if they could travel through time, what if they could, you know, have a different kind of reality than the one we have. Um, and through the exploration of the what if, um, we also, I think, understand uh, the actual reality a little bit better. Uh, I think as well, exploring fantastic realities is safer. Something I found very interesting was a paper written by Mikhail called The Racial Politics of X-Men. In this paper, he spoke about how the events in X-Men relate to the civil rights movement. I've written about the X-Men as um, some of those storylines as being allegorical to issues of racism and, um, uh, and homophobia. And I think part of the appeal is that we can explore issues like that through the characters, through superpowers, right? Looking at prejudice and discrimination, not, not in real life, but, you know, in the context of superheroes. It's, it's not so personal, and yet it's relatable enough that, that you know, we can make the connection. In your paper, The Racial Politics of X-Men, you concluded there are frequent moments when the X-Men creative teams manage to turn the superhero soap opera into an opportunity to meaningfully engage readers and viewers of all ages with social issues that are too often ignored by both the mainstream media and mainstream educational institutions. Could you tell us a bit more about what you meant by this? You know, I'm kind of going to go ahead and, and get into some of the allegory with the civil rights movement. And I just want to say this isn't... Um, you know, my own thesis, I think, it, it, it's very clearly evident, uh, and others have, have observed it, remarked on it. Um, some of the original writers of the X-Men talked about um, how they intentionally, you know, wrote, uh, um, you know, explored themes of prejudice, uh, you know, in, in, in the plot lines. Um, but we can read, uh, in the X-Men, we can read... Uh, Professor Xavier as a Martin Luther King type of character. We can read um, Magneto as a Malcolm X kind of character. Uh, and in one of the films, and I'm sorry, it's been long enough that I can't remember which one, uh, Magneto uses Malcolm X's um, you know, prominent, well-known line by any means necessary. So for the listeners who are unfamiliar with the plot, uh, they're a group of uh, uh, mutant humans uh, mutant in the sense that they've mutated some superpowers, and then there are uh, the other regular humans, and there's a growing tension uh, between the two groups. The the dominant regular humans are uh, feel threatened by uh, by the mutants, and um, you know engage in a variety of both interpersonal and structural strategies to limit their power, uh, and. The minority group, which in this case, uh, and I want to make this point because I think it's an important one, uh, in many ways, the mutants are intended to show, uh, to represent marginalized groups, and, and you know, in many ways they do, but in one important way, uh, they're different in the superhero comics because the mutants are the more powerful um, uh, characters. Whereas in, you know, in reality, uh, marginalized groups, you know, do not enjoy more power relative to the dominant groups. 
but in any case, uh, you know, there's oppression of, uh, structural oppression of the mutants, um, and the mutants uh, respond with a variety of different strategies. Some, like Magneto, want to, um, well, want to resist and, um, and maybe even obtain power, as he says, by any means necessary. And then uh, uh, Professor Xavier and the X-Men, also mutants, uh, are more interested in collaboration and working with the regular human beings to, um, uh, to figure out how to live together and to support each other. And so, you know, he's you know, kind of the more uh, Martin Luther King character. Uh, these are simplifications of, uh, of the real Martin Luther King and the real Malcolm X, uh, you know, sort of, you know, how could they not be simplifications? Uh, but they nevertheless allow the stories to explore, um, you know, the same kinds of themes and, and uh, the within-group diversity that, that was part of the civil rights movement. This is something that we often don't think about. In more recent years, the X-Men movies have gained an affinity with the gay rights movement, X-Men director Brian Singer, who is bisexual, has made some references to gay rights in his movies. In X-Men First Class, the characters class himself as mutants and proud, similar to some gay pride slogans. In X-Men 2, one character, Iceman, reveals his mutant abilities to his parents. His parents are shocked and his mum asks, are you sure it's not just a phase? This scene is clearly a play on the character coming out of the closet, but instead of being gay, he's a mutant. The movies show the situations of gay pride and civil rights as they truly are. Like mutants, these groups only want to be part of our society and to fit in, but are often discriminated against because they are different. This made me think about how different communities are represented within these movies. I believe that nowadays there are far more characters who are representative of today's society. If you look at the Iron Man movies or Captain America the Winter Soldier, you have two black superheroes, Don Cheadle's War Machine and Anthony Mackie's Falcon. These characters often play sidekick roles. However, Samuel L. Jackson's character Nick Fury was the character responsible for bringing all the Avengers together in the movie Avengers Assemble. Now, I'd certainly say that women are more truly represented within these movies, although there has only been one female superhero in Marvel's movies. She has often played a significant role, proving that she can hold her own amongst these superhumans without even having powers. Graham Brewster is City of Glasgow College's Diversity and Equalities Manager, and he has a real passion for comic book movies, so I asked him if he thought there was enough diversity within these films. No. I would say my quick answer would be no. However, if these movies had been made 30 years ago, I think their diversity represented would be less developed as it is now. I think there are issues of representation, both in relation to under-representation of groups and also the misrepresentation of those groups. So... Uh, Let's take the, the latest Avengers film to talk about that. There, the previous Avengers film had one female Avenger character in it, plus one other female character who was an agent. Uh, in this version, of the latest version of the Avengers, they've, they've brought in a new Avenger, so which, which is encouraging, so the, the proportion of women Avengers have doubled compared to what was before. However, in relation to other protected characteristics completely underrepresented. Uh, ethnicity was a little bit in the film in the sense that the uh, the man who was in Winter Soldier, the black actor's character who was an ex-war veteran who was given wings, he was in the very, very tail end of the film and also the black actor who was in Iron Man 
two and three, he was in the film for a minor part, but very minor. But still, so it's good in the sense that they're there. But I still don't feel that they are they are central to the plot. Uh, in relation to misrepresentation, the first Avengers film was more guilty of this, and that Black Widow's character very often killed men with her thighs. And whilst that can be seen to be quite empowering for for many women, if that's all she, if that's the only way she's killing people, it becomes a bit sexualized. Uh, Captain America doesn't like put people under his armpit and kills them with his muscles. He kills them in different ways. So uh, I think there are issues here, and many other protected characteristics just aren't represented at all. So sexual orientation is not in the film at all. Uh, it's not even suggested to be in the film. I also think in one Avengers, yeah, the previous Avengers film where Iron Man falls out of the sky and somebody was about to kind of resuscitate him or suggest to resuscitate him. Iron Man makes a joke about don't kiss me type thing because that would be seem to be something that's inappropriate that a superhero might do. So sexual orientation, it's a bit of a taboo there. I can understand why that would be in the sense that they've got to make films to, to sell to people and attitudes are the same across the world, both like within America, uh, more landlocked states in the, in the Deep South are, are, have got more negative attitudes towards sexual orientation and also for international markets. Uh, if they kind of supported sexual orientation equality, they're likely to be banned in some 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 countries. So, it, it, and just to kind of, kind of summarise, I think they're characterised by underrepresentation and misrepresentation. Marvel are set to release two movies in coming years: Black Panther with a black lead character and Captain Marvel with a female lead character, creating more and more characters who many different people can relate to. So, Marvel are planning to release movies like Black Panther and Captain Marvel with black lead and female lead characters? Do you think this is a step in the right direction? Yeah, definitely think it's a step in the right direction. I think they should be given their own films. Uh, they should have also been given their own films until now, considering that 50% of people who go to cinemas are women and they've not had a dedicated superhero movie for female superheroes. So, yeah, they're redressing the balance slowly there, I'd say. You spoke as well about LGBT characters. Do you think that we'll see an introduction of any kind of gay characters into uh, superhero movies? Yes, but probably not for a good, no, maybe not for 20 years, I would go as far as to say. Uh, being gay is still seen as not being synonymous with strength or something that's aspirational. And superheroes are depicted as being strong, moral ambassadors that people can aspire to. And until being gay is regarded as being just as valid as being heterosexual or even uh, something that is as aspirational for people and, and that you could actually make a difference as a result of being gay I don't see it I, I don't actually see it being being integrated or, or being portrayed it's still seen very much as being the antithesis of masculinity uh, something that should be shun away from rather than actually aspire to. We've seen a lot of characters, characters who in the comics are primarily white, have become black. Some that have been male have been changed to female. Is this something that you think's a good thing? I think it's a mixed bag. I think it's good in the sense that women and black characters are being portrayed in films where previously they weren't. However, I think it's bad in the sense that why can women and black characters not have their own backstory, their own history and their own identity, which through their struggle have led to their the motivation to become a superhero? 
what we're seeing is, for taking the example of uh, Johnny Storm, uh, it's uh, I find it difficult to reconcile somebody who who's always been associated as being white and blonde haired and all the characters now being portrayed as a black man. And I think that my, my struggle with this is that people might just look at that and think it's PC gone mad and it's gone too far. Similarly, for roles which were like a superhero role rather than a superhero identity where somebody like, for example, the Green Lantern is portrayed by different characters assuming this role. And in the past where it could have been a white person playing the role who was then replaced by a black person in the role, I find challenging as well because it's as if the white man struggled to get there and through the white's, white man's strength and determination allows the black man to take over. And I find that problematic in a sense that the black man was never able to do it on his own. So I think it's a step in the right direction. But I still think there's issues there about misrepresentation in the sense of why, why was a character not black to begin with? Now, one other thing I found to be very interesting was a test that's been created called the Bechdel test. This test is used to see how well represented women are within movies. And it consists of three questions. Is there more than one woman in the film? Do both of these women speak to each other? And do they speak to each other about more than just men? If the answer to all three questions is yes, then the film has passed the test and represents women well. The test has also been applied to black characters and can be used for many different minority groups. More than half of Marvel's movies passed the Bechdel test, and I believe these movies have paved the way for more strong female characters and more role models for young girls. I believe that superhero movies are here to stay for the foreseeable future, and we can expect to see more, bigger and better movies in coming years. So all we really can do is sit back and enjoy the ride.